Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. Right the ship tonight against Tampa without Rob Gronkowski. While we're not accustomed to seeing the Patriots with their back up against the wall, I think I think tonight that they go down in Tampa. I think the Patriots are in a hole after tonight. This is not a get-right game for New England, and all that's on tape. So tomorrow we can talk about how silly they are. Correct. Thank God we don't get paid by the prediction. But in fairness, you did give us out, Mike. We both acknowledge. I knew it. That this is it. what this team does. Why we got to keep learning the hard way? But not necessarily. I feel I feel like we couched it enough. Like Antoine Rockamora and Pulp Fiction, we should have better known better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we should have known Belichick was gonna bounce back. But then again, as somebody tweeted last last night, Nick Folk can't kick a habit. Oh, oh I was wrong <laughs> because I was right. And I'll explain what I mean by that later on. You know where I'm going with this. What's good? Welcome to the best 60 minutes of your day. We'll look back at last night and tell you why it should be the last time that any of y'all, y'all, that's right, doubt the Patriots. The NLDS, they get underway tonight. We'll get you set. Also, big World Cup qualifier tonight for U.S. So naturally, Jamel's TV side piece, Taylor Twelman, (laughs) will join us. I'll just lay out. But first, apologies are all the rage in the NFL these days. Antonio Brown gave everybody an earful on the sideline Sunday that he heard from his QB and pundits across the country call him out all week. He tweeted about it. He and a teammate made jokes about it in the locker room. Today in the Steelers locker room, he talked more about it. We all make mistakes as players. You know? Sometimes I might miss a read. I don't see Ben throwing me under the bus. And if I drop a ball and if I run the wrong route and didn't get my depth, I don't see him kicking the cooler. So there's no excuse for my behavior. Uh, I'm glad he did what he did and called me out. As a general of our team, we got every right to call anything out. Not on a mission of our team. You know? I'm just grateful we got a great leader who's uh, forgiven. Just apologize with, you know. Taken away from the bigger picture was us beating the Ravens. So our teammate and his former teammate in Pittsburgh, Ryan Clark, said earlier this week that Antonio Brown has done a good job of fooling people into thinking he's different than the other quote-unquote diva wide receivers. Well, call me fooled, and maybe I'm falling for it again, but listening to that and reading more of what he said, I think it's the last time we see him have an outburst like that on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. Um, look, I, I know that for a lot of people seeing him behave that way, that, that kind of turned him off. And there is this reputation, as you just mentioned, that wide receivers have as being all about themselves. But I think there is a blurred line for them between clearly you, they can't pass to themselves. And they're also highly competitive. Mm-hmm. So while I know that outburst was kind of unbecoming, in many respects, as all as I said yesterday when we discussed uh, after the Gatorade incident where they were just joking about it in the locker room, mm, that I felt I felt like on some level that Ben Roethlisberger, that this was a conversation he should have had with Antonio Brown in private. Look, I get it. He showed out publicly. Ben Roethlisberger had every right to criticize him publicly and even more so. I know he tweeted an apology, Antonio Brown did, did. that maybe he felt like he needed to put his face to it. And for that, I think that exhibits a lot of maturity. But I think, but I think to some degree, this situation was a little bit overblown. No, no, but it, but it needed to happen. You mm-hmm. know, he, he needed to have this experience to learn from it. Maybe this was something that was boiling. And look, it's a Friday. 
I don't know how it works with the local media in Pittsburgh, but he could he didn't have to face that music again today. No, he didn't. He said, let's move that, on. That tweet could have just stood on its own. That was it. So he comes out and he says, look, Ben doesn't throw a tantrum when I don't get the proper route depth. Mm-hmm. Ben doesn't throw a tantrum, you know, if, if I if I if I run the wrong route or drop a ball, which he's not perfect either. Right. So he he went above and beyond when it came to owning this situation, which I don't want to call a mistake. It was really a personality trait or flaw that exploded. And for him, the thing that frustrated a lot of people is like of all people to complain, most of the time when you see wide receivers complain, it's because they're not getting the ball enough. Right. Nobody gets fed. Yeah, this is a closed mouth, don't get fed. He eats a lot. <laughs> yeah. But in that situation, he thought he had a play. Ben checked it down. I think he's learned his lesson and realizes this is why when you show out, when you, you, you get War out when you get showed out, when you show out, as we like to say, going back in the day with our parents, because you get embarrassed. And I think he's genuinely embarrassed at having his character questioned publicly and nationally the way it has been. This and maybe week. he felt some that he needed to do this also because he's had some other incidents. And I want to you know, make those seem like uh, that they were, you know, something that was so nefarious. But with the locker room incident, the incident Facebook, live, the Facebook yeah. live and some other little things, people have wondered, like, is this guy mature enough to handle being in the leadership position that he is? And I think he, he showed that. All right. Clayton Kershaw gets the ball. Game one tonight against the D-backs. And is relatively speaking, postseason struggles, they're well documented. 2-3-6 ERA in the regular season. Best picture most of us have seen, certainly of his generation. But that number jumps to 4-5-5. In the postseason, still holds opponents to a 229 batting average in the playoffs, though. Eduardo Perez always batting a thousand when it comes uh, to analysis. Look, I, I look at Kershaw and, and I reject the premise of there being pressure on him beyond the norm for an ace for a 104 win team that's trying to, you know, break through in the postseason finally. But I reject the premise of this somehow being something he's got to prove because he's had a lot of bad breaks when it comes to his bullpen not picking him up. He's pitched on a lot of short rest. He's had an abnormally high batting average when it comes to balls put in play in the postseason. Look, relatively speaking, he has not been his dominant self in the playoffs. But to me, I'm looking at that Dodgers bullpen as in to pick him up in that seventh, that's tricky seventh inning for Clayton Kershaw. Right, and the thing is we're all spoiled because we see during the season Clayton Kershaw went healthy. He goes the full nine. He goes eight innings. He doesn't need the bullpen. Yet when it comes to playoff time where the teams are bearing down, where they have a game plan, they're set, they have more meetings, they're prepared. Clayton, early in his career when it comes to being in the playoffs, didn't do well, especially against the Cardinals. But the last couple of years, he's actually been decent. Mm-hmm. And what concerns me now is that the Kershaw that we have seen throughout the years, the dominant Kershaw, isn't the same guy that we're seeing in the month of September. We're seeing a guy that went, uh, uh, if it was, you see the most strikeouts he got in the game was seven strikeouts. This is a guy that usually gets double digits in strikeouts, a lot of swings and misses. Now what he's doing is inducing soft contact to try to go deeper in the game when it comes to the pitch count. It's going to be interesting because this Arizona Diamondback team is not the same team that he faced earlier on in the season where he dominated them. Last time he faced them, he took it, he took it into the seventh inning with a no-hitter. Yeah. Now this guy is a different guy, and it's a different lineup. You got J.D. Martinez in this lineup. Right. Yeah. This is not the same lineup. This is a lineup that can hit lefties, and they've proven it. And as lot, I, I'm sorry. I would say it's a lot of pressure on this team in general, given the regular season that they had, and some of the pressure on Kershaw. I think he's just getting swept up in all of that. Well, that's what I was, I mean, as I mentioned, you know, he got like a 24 ERA in right. the seventh mm-hmm. inning in his, in his postseason career. So would you take this as a referendum on Kershaw if he is not – 
dominant in this series and doesn't take them deep into the postseason mad bum style? Would you would you look at this as legacy defining or damaging when it comes to him? I don't see it as legacy defining or not. What I see is that the same, we cannot value Clayton Kershaw like we did before the number one guy that goes nine innings and dominates through nine innings. I think I think what you're going to see right now is Dave Roberts is going to be uh, focused on that seventh inning and he's not going to fall into what us baseball people call the three run trap. If you yeah. get a uh, a base runner, all of a sudden he'll get that bullpen rolling bullpen earlier the before, <laughs> right, before the past. And it's going to be interesting when he uses Kenley Jansen. We saw how dominant he was in the postseason last year, how he was extended last year. I think Dave Roberts wants that first game badly, and he'll extend Kenley Jansen as much as he has I to. I think he's already one. said he's not going to pitch Kershaw on short rest this postseason. Mm-hmm. He's done the last several yeah. years. And you got the best bullpen ERA in the National League. Put it to use. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's All right, right. Well, you stick around because we still have to talk about this Astros-Red Sox matchup. Uh, but coming up in about 90 minutes, game one of Cubs Nationals, Bryce Harper there has been back from his knee injury, but at time sufficiently healed all wounds. Uh, Kyle Hendricks versus Steven Strasburg on the hill tonight. First time these two teams are meeting in playoff history and for whatever it's worth, the Nationals won the season series 4-3. to three. Now to help us get set here for game one, Pedro Gomez, he joins us. Now uh, Bryce Harper, uh, Pedro, is batting second today. What's the thinking behind moving him to that spot in the lineup? Well, it has a lot to do with the knee injury. Don't forget he missed over 40 games after he hyperextended his knee. He was able to play in five of the last six regular season games, but he was only three for 18 with no RBIs in those five games. So manager Dusty Baker said, you know what? If we keep him in the number three hole where he normally hits, he's going to possibly see more breaking balls, more off-speed pitches, and really he's working on his timing right now. So they moved him into the number two hole because figuring Trey Turner, the leadoff hitter, gets on. He's a stolen base threat. Then the opposing pitcher, Kyle Hendricks, is probably going to have to throw more fastballs than off-speed pitches to Bryce Harper, and that is where major league hitters start to get their timing. So really it's about the fact that Harper doesn't have his timing down yet. It's basically like being early in spring training. All right, Pedro. So you got Strasburg, and he of the .98 ERA in the second half, fourth best in major league history. Uh, going up against Hendricks, Gonzalez in game two, Scherzer in yeah. game three at Wrigley. I wonder, though, just the juxtaposition between these two teams. You got the Nationals so accustomed, unfortunately, to postseason disappointment, whereas the Cubs coming off the World Series, now back, shout out to Game of Thrones, working on a dynasty. I mean, what's the difference between the Cubs team this year versus last year? And do you sense a difference in just the overall vibe as it relates to being relaxed and pressure and expectations and so on and so forth? Well, a lot of it is is being put on the fact that they kind of had the World Series hangover. And, you know, this is a club that was only two games under 500 at the All-Star break, but they finished 20 games over. So they obviously have had a much better second half. They played a lot like everybody expected them to play all season. But the reality is we don't know who these Cubs are. Look, last year they had John Lester go game one of the postseason every series, and that is a bona fide ace. Lester has struggled a little bit here, so they're going with Kyle Hendricks. Not really a flamethrower, somebody that kind of is softer, but it's the bullpen also. They don't have a role Chapman back at the back of the bullpen. Wade Davis is a fine closer, but it has altered the bullpen, and that's where the real big question marks are. Look, Michael, the rock stars in postseason baseball used to be the starting pitchers when you think about, you know, history. That mantle now has gone over to relievers, and the relievers are now the rock stars. The starters are just basically, get us four innings, get us maybe five, and we'll handle the rest from there on. It's not how it used to be. 
All right. Oh, how times have changed. But what never changes is you delivering awesome information, Thank you, Pedro. Pedro. Thank you so much. All right. Now on the game two, Stroh's socks. Here's a fun fact you can repeat at parties. Um, so the Astros, they had a major league best, 277 in slug, 481 against high pitches this season. I show you that because of that. Carlos Correa hits the high knuckle curve, deep for a two-run home run to left field off Drew Pomerantz. And then we go on, bottom third, <laughs> George Springer. He hits a solo shot to right field off Pomerantz. Springer, his first home run of the playoffs. Astros with a 3-1 lead, and Pomerantz, he was pulled later in the inning after another run. Uh, Dallas Keuchel, Mr. Beard, well, he wasn't the only Beard that was in the building. And for what it's worth, I think Keuchel's deal is actually better. But uh, James Harden, I'm sure he loves to see this. Uh, he was dealing for the Red Sox. They were in scoring position right there. Uh, Keuchel, he also got Hanley Ramirez to ground out at third, and he stranded some runners. That was sort of the mood of the afternoon. The Strohs certainly got theirs. So, Eduardo, you saw what Jose Altuve did in game one. You see what he did here. Best player in baseball, right? Well, right now, yes. And they treated him that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Boston Red Sox, they walked him intentionally twice to face Carlos Correa. (laughs) My goodness, I'm telling you right now, that was the first time they got away with it. And I was like, wait a second, this is a guy that just took Drew Palmer on steep, and you said it on that knuckle curve, yep. pitch up. This is one of the best players in the game, mm. Carlos Correa, one healthy. Then they walked him, and what did he do? He gets a double, yep. drives in two more. This is the balance that the Houston Astros have. Yesterday, Springer and Correa go over, but everybody else contributes. It's up and down the order. It is difficult to pitch to. This is a team, and, and led by Jose Altuve, with what he is doing right now, the focus is on him, and everybody around them is feasting. Yeah. Springer two for four, Correa two for four with four RBI. Each of them have home runs. It is a team right now that is going to be hard to beat yeah. because of their offense. Littlest guy in the game, maybe got a chance to become his biggest star. How tall like is on the biggest stage. How tall is five, six, I want to say something like that. Allegedly. Like six, five. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Especially got the power coming in the postseason right at the right time. Real quick, how did the Red Sox get back in the series? How they have to pray. All right, let's start, let's start right, right there. All right, they really do. And, and Wait for you, Jesus. I got it. <laughs> you have to go now, and, and you don't have Chris Sale for game three. Mm. That's Fister, going to be yeah. tough for them. You know, you got Fister going game three. The, uh, he has to be able to hold this offense, and it's going to be very difficult. The offense for the Red Sox has to take over and take the pressure off the starting pitching. Right. Bottom line. All right, I think those brooms are coming out. <laughs> all, all right, a lot of people like the changes to the NBA All-Star Games format as in the top two vote-getters from the East and West select the roster's playground style. J.R. Smith can dig it on one condition. It's a hard situation to put guys in. I don't think they're going to release who, who got picked first. Or, you, can't, you can't do that. Because it's, yeah, then, if you make the All-Star game, it's still end up being the last pick. Yeah, and it's not, that's not the best feeling to have. <laughs> you're an All-Star guy. I don't think they really thought that thing through all the way. Shouldn't they put this on TV? Shouldn't they make LeBron and Steph like... No. They should not put him. <laughs> they should not do that. You agree with Jr.? No, I don't agree with him. He has no sense of the dramatic. Uh, we want to see those awkward moments, don't you? Or you want to see whether or not, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Let's just say LeBron winds up being a, one of the team captains. Does he pick Kyrie? Does he not? Like, I, I want, I'm here for all the drama and the pettiness if that's what it creates. Because that's the whole point of selling this whole draft. It's not about who you pick. It's who you pass. And so I'm all in on this. Televise it, please. Yeah, see, I don't understand the concern, seeing as though I was never the last pick on the playground. 
You know, that was just, I just that's foreign. Just it's natural. a foreign concept to me. <laughs> all-time quarterback all the time. Oh, of you course. Know. Uh, basketball's a different story, though. I wanted to be Hakeem because I was like one of the tallest kids in junior high, and then I just stopped growing. I had no – anyway, uh, that's not the point. We're talking about the real players. So I like it because what's the thing we're – You searching? like televising it or just – I like televising it. like the I like draft. analyzing it. What's the thing we're looking for out of the All-Star game? Pride. Yeah. And one way to – instill pride or to light that fire that competitive fire is to have a guy want to prove that he shouldn't have been the second the third the fourth or the last pick how many guys get upset when our rankings are saying you're the 64th best player or you see how they responded to 2k rating exactly so if you're not one of the early picks you don't think you have a chip on your shoulder to go out there and ball out so anything that can get guys going and and take them back to their pickup playground days and turn the all-star game as opposed to a glorified dunk contest into something that at least matters to them to some level i'm here for it so if that means that you know striking their or, or touching their petty side so be it Watching teams as an analyst after I've retired play the New England Patriots, they have an all factor to them when they either go into Foxborough or they see the Patriots on the other sideline. And I thought I saw that in Jameis last night. And Jameis in terms of where is Tom? Am I going to see him pregame? I want to go talk to him. Oh, this is the Patriots wanting to do so much and so much. It looked like he was a little bit of an emotional mess. All right, so Jameis and Brady met in a tunnel of Raymond James uh, after the game. Jameis said it was a blessing and an honor to meet him. So take it or leave it, Jamel, that Jameis was too in awe of Tom Brady. Yeah, I'm going to leave this one. Uh, even though I, I respect, obviously, Teddy Bruschi's opinion, I, I just think that some of the issues we saw Jameis had last night were issues get, that have kind of been there. Struggled with his chemistry with Deshaun Watson. We know he hasn't been the most accurate passer. So I just think that those were just... They were just more exasperated because I'm going to take it and take Teddy at his word on this because maybe he was a little too caught up in who was on the other side and outplaying Brady on the national stage. I know all of his pregame speeches are like hype, but did you see last seriously. night? Yeah. Did you see last I night? Did. Yeah, so maybe he was a little too excited and once the game was on the line, settled down. All right. Along those same, same lines, uh, the Patriots, obviously, they needed to recover from a loss, so take it or leave it. Uh, people can stop panicking about the Patriots. Uh, I'm going to leave it, but I will tell you what I will take is that people can stop talking about the need who should have or should trade Jimmy Garoppolo the way Tom Brady getting hit. 16 yeah. sacks, got sacked three times by a team that had one sack coming in. He was on his in. back a lot. How many times been hit? 30-something times, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, so far this year? So I'm, I'm concerned if I'm a Patriots fan about the protection. Yeah, I, I'm going to take this, though. Uh, look, I don't know if this is still the Super Bowl team I thought they were. But I think in terms of missing the playoffs and more nefarious outcomes, I don't think people need to be concerned about that. This is still a good team, still going to win their division. I'm just not quite as sure they're Super Bowl bound. Rams, Seahawks, take it or leave it. The Rams will prove to their remaining doubters like you their legitimacy. I'm not a remaining doubter. Why do I always have to be the hater? I Uh, I don't think they need a win. Whether they win or lose, I think this is a legit team. Looking at their offense, the points they've been able to put up, um, uh, I, I think they're already legit. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. But, but I'm going to take it, though, because I still think that even for their development, there's something about beating Seattle. Even though Seattle has looked shaky so far, Seattle has been the gatekeeper of the NFC West so far. So it's one thing to, go, to beat Dallas. Yeah, that, 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 there's a statement to some extent to that. But Dallas doesn't have the track record that Seattle does. I'm going to take this as a statement win. I'm picking the Rams to win All this right. game. Speaking of the Cowboys, uh, their season will go down the drain if they lose to the Packers this weekend. Come on, man. You got to lead us. You got, so what you're saying? It's a must-win game. 
Must win. Yes, it's a must win game. Why? Because, Mike, if you look at the rest of their schedule, they have a bye, though, after this. Did you pull out the schedule? I did. I pulled the schedule oh, card. Oh, they are in trouble if they lose this game. That. No, they're not. They're not. I think it's still a good team finding its identity in 2017 as opposed to what they were in 2016. What, what would they be if they lost this week? They would be under 500. I think they'd be two and three, right? It's not the end of the world. No, it's not the end of the world, but look, people have clearly figured out a way to bottle up Ezekiel Elliott. That's part of the problem. Are you convinced that somebody in the NFC East is running away with it? The Giants have already eliminated themselves. Yes. I mean, Philly's good. Washington Washington. could be up and down. Yeah, they have, but Washington is looking a lot better than people. You know the East always comes down to Week 17, last year notwithstanding. Take it or leave it that Deshaun Watson hands the Chiefs their first L this year. Yeah, I'm going to leave this even though I feel a little shaky about this particular pick now that uh, Kansas City center and right guard will, will both be out. And you know how wonderful and thirsty that Texas uh, defensive line is. So, but I, I still think... Called them thirsty? I, I mean, in a good way. I don't. I mean, like, thirst, like thirsty to hit the uh, no quarterback, doubt, no thirsty doubt, to no cause doubt, no uh, like some pain. They do. Um, but I, I'm going to leave this. I think Deshaun Watson still plays well, but I, yeah. I just like everything I'm seeing with the Chiefs I, right now. I think he puts on a show in front of a national audience. He just keeps getting better and better uh, week in and week out. Um, look, I, I love the Chiefs, respect them a lot, but I'm going with Deshaun Watson in this one. Whoa, you're all in on this bandwagon. Let me just show you how much of a must-win this is. The U.S. men are running out of room for error in World Cup qualifying. They win tonight. They have a 93% chance to advance to the World Cup, according to SPI. That number changes to 62% if they finish with a draw. Now, if they lose, that drops all the way to 44%. So, must-win. She's sounding all smart on soccer. Like <laughs> well, you've been talking to Taylor. Yeah, I was going to say, when so. you have great friends like Taylor uh-huh. Spelman, who joins us now from Orlando. Y'all go ahead and have y'all quality time. Hi, <laughs> yeah, Taylor. jealousy gets. I ain't jealous. You know I'm jealousy this, gets said, this, this right here, wait, wait, we can't see my name. My name right there. I'm good. <laughs> With Taylor, let's uh, again talk about this must win tonight. Now, Argentina, they're already in danger missing the 2018 World Cup after a draw at home. But for the U.S., how much of a setback would this be? if they did not qualify for the World Cup? Well, Jamel, Michael, I know my soccer hits and soccer talk on the six would be diminished, so there's one <laughs> aspect there. But I, I'm only half kidding. Jamel, I'm in your neck of the woods here in Orlando City. Ten years ago, if you would have told me that the United States were playing a must-win World Cup qualifier in an MLS soccer-specific stadium in downtown Orlando, I would have told you you're completely out of your coconut. But that's the reality of the situation. That's where the domestic game is. I just don't think the United States can afford that. However, there is part of the soccer world that thinks with failure comes change. Very similar to the 2000 Germany team that had a debacle in the European Championships. They revitalized everything, came up with a 10-year plan that culminated in them winning the World Cup in Brazil. I just think at this time where the game is growing, I don't think the United States is ready just yet. So Bruce Arena's butt might be on the line is what you're saying. Yeah, Bruce Arenas, he's got his hands full today. And here's the thing, Michael. So many questions over the last month has been about, you know what, where do you play Christian Pulisic, the 19-year-old star player from Borussia Dortmund? The reality is this, is that after the World Cup, I said Josie Altador coming into the prime of his career, his legacy's on the line. Well, I might have jinxed him. Only two goals in his last 13 caps, zero goals in the hexagonal round of qualifying. It's about time Josie Altidore showed up. 27 years of age, making millions of dollars playing over in England, now back here in Major League Soccer. He has to put the team on its back. He has to show up tonight and score goals. 
that is what he's paid to do. Big question mark for Josie Altidore in the United States. Can they score against Panama that has only given up five goals in the round of qualifying? Strong analysis, strong suit game, too. Salute, brother. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> See you, guys. I understand that my word choice was extremely degrading and disrespectful uh, to women. And to be honest, that was not my intentions. And if you are a person who took offense to what I said, I sincerely apologize to you. During this whole process, I've already lost sponsors and countless fans. I realized that the joke is really on me. And I've learned a valuable lesson from this. And to the, the, the young people who see this, I hope that you learn something from this as well. Um, don't be like me. Be better than me. And to the reporters, to the journalists, to the moms, super moms, to the daughters, the sisters, and the women all around the world, I sincerely apologize and hope that you can find the kindness in your heart to forgive. So Ron Rivera said today he thought that apology was well said, and he'd like to move on to 3-1 Carolina at 3-1 Detroit. We will as well momentarily, but first, what you think of the apology? Uh, I thought it, I agree with Ron Rivera. Uh, it seemed heartfelt. He seemed contrite. Um, and, and, and to some degree, while Cam deserved all the, uh, a lot of the criticism that he got for his, his remark, um, this was definitely one of those things, as Ron Burgundy said, escalated quickly. You know, to to have a to a relationship with a sponsor like Dan and to have that severed, and now all of a sudden he's making apologies, um, you know, via video on Twitter. It just goes to show on, on some level how much of this could have been prevented had he just done this right away. I don't know if we got to this point, but for what he said, I think a lot of people appreciated his words um, and whatever credibility or whatever goodwill he may have lost, uh, it's hard for me to look at that apology and not say some of that has not been regained. Yeah, like like I said on Twitter last night, I'm generally not in the business of armchair quarterback and somebody's apologies and the sincerity of said apologies. And honestly, the apology shouldn't be about us and whether we accept it or whether it passes the, the sincerity test for us. It should be about him. This is, this is an area for me where I look at it as I hope the, you know, uh, the learn and grow from this is not just lip service, that he actually experiences some introspection and figures out why he was prone to make that kind of comment. Because the thing that stands out to a lot of people, and I've been analyzing this all last night and talking to people about it, is why would you say, if you are one of those people who are offended, why do you qualify? Because everybody now, that language undermines the entire apology, if I offended you. It, it, it suggests that one doesn't get it. I'm not so sure about that. I wonder, and... How do I put this? Cam has an interesting way with words. And I think saying, if you are offended, I apologize, is such a, a, a cliche and such a crutch. I think just a lot of people just say it and don't necessarily think about how it sounds right. to those to whom you're apologizing. That said, I think he still believes that it wasn't him. It's almost like the people that use homophobic slurs or racial, racial slurs. They often say it was a mistake. It was a mistake. And if I offended you, I'm sorry. I think the if I offended you mindset comes from a denial or a lack of awareness that you need to change your paradigm. 
that which led you to make that remark in the first place is problematic instead of because if you look at the entirety of the apology, he was like, I'm a guy that likes to use my platform for positivity, help the community. I have daughters basically saying this isn't what I'm about. So because you don't believe this is what you're about, you look at it as this was out of character. And if I offended you, I'm sorry, because there's room not to be offended. Does that make sense? So I'm fine with this sincerity. He doesn't owe me anything. And I I take him at his word that he understands that what he did was wrong. But the why does he truly understand why he did it? Well, and and maybe it's one of those things, too, um, in underlining that particular phrase where is there a part of him that still wonders, was this everybody blowing it out of proportion versus what I meant? Because there's a lot of times you, when we apologize, we, ato- we apologize based on intent and not That's actually what, I'm at. what, That's the word what of, we yes. meant. Yes. All right. Or, he, knew, he knew he didn't intend to he offend didn't anybody. Intend to offend so he didn't intend to offend her. He didn't intend to disrespect right. uh, you know, a, a women journalists. He didn't intend to do that. But your intent is not what people heard. And the thing about the Jordan Roderick tweets that people have brought up and, and I actually think yesterday we both said that, you know, not to connect those two things, that what she tweeted years ago had nothing to do with whether Cam should have said a female breaking down routes. But I actually do think there's use for the unearthing of Jordan Roderick's tweets. And that is it just goes to show that we're all in need of forgiveness, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so in this situation, you have somebody who was the, the, the disparaging remark was directed at. But she's got, for lack of a better phrase, skeletons in her own closet. Right. So we all have moments or things that we've either said or done that we'd like to have back. Yeah, and even within her apology, what stood out to me was how she made sure to reference, I apologize for something that was four or five years ago, only to say why y'all bringing up old stuff. And it's like, when you have, you clearly were bold enough to have it still in your timeline. Yeah. So when you have that kind of track record... Right. It makes it difficult, as I said, going forward, as you cover a lot of black athletes, yeah. if they don't want to deal with you now, I can't say that I believe It should them. also make it easier for her to forgive him, given that Correct. she's in need of forgiveness, forgiveness and forgetting herself. right now. Real quick, who you got? Lions or Panthers? Uh, mm, I'm going to say Panthers. Give me the Lions. The Nets played the Heat Thursday and ran their preseason record to 2-0. and But the highlight happened online and in the locker room, where Jeremy Lin played it perfectly by not playing Kenyon Martin any more than Martin had already played himself. Rather than respond in kind, Lynn killed him with kindness. All at once, taking a charge, rejecting shots fired, and Euro-stepping past the haters, courtesy of an accidental assist from Martin's since-deleted Instagram videos, criticizing Lynn's new look and accusing him of wanting to be black because he's wearing dreadlocks. Now, had Kmart simply searched before sending, Perhaps he'd have come across Lynn's thoughtful Players' Tribune essay and at the very least come to appreciate how much consideration Lynn gave to potentially committing cultural appropriation as he attempts to achieve the kind of liberation that Outkast and Erica sang about back in the day. A lot of folk talk about wanting to have the conversation, capital T, capital C, but an off-broken rule of engagement is being willing to absorb harsh criticisms, handle hard truths, and keep cool in the face of horrible hot takes. Lynn couldn't have handled this better, first by a classy, applause-worthy clapback in Martin's comments, then by asking his Asian fans not to post racist responses on Martin's page. As Lynn said, it's not about somebody holding an L, it's about letting go of our prejudices. Lynn clearly understands the way not to have constructive cultural conversations is by countering the unavoidable haters with more hate, something I know I tend to forget myself. Instead of taking offense and going on the defensive, 
The player, once known as Linsanity, resisted reacting out of sensitivity and provided us all with a lesson in class and sensibility. With Michigan and Michigan State playing tomorrow, this week more than any other, I don't have anything good to say about that school in Ann Arbor. But I'm putting rivalry aside to commend Coach Jim Harbaugh, not for the coach he is, but for the man he is. Harbaugh's son, James, is a theater and dance major at Michigan, and last year he made the courageous decision to tell his famous father that he is gay. James told the Two Outs podcast recently that he felt the need to come out because he felt extremely vulnerable and scared under the current political climate. And how did the elder Harbaugh respond? He told his son, quote, as long as you do what you feel is right in your mind, you live your truth. Everything will end up being okay." Now, I know we should be past the point of giving cookies to people for being decent human beings and just accepting people for who and what they are. But it sends a powerful message that a coach with Harbaugh's profile chose to be loving and encouraging as his son braved the sensitive process of coming out. This is especially important because, according to the Trevor Project, gay and lesbian American youth attempt to commit suicide at four times the rate of straight kids. Anyway, I'll always hate Michigan, but Coach Harbaugh and his son will always have my utmost respect. Little pump fake, got around the defender, Jackson, touchdown! For the moment, this crowd gets much more silent. That got nothing to do with them. I'm, I'm saying that's pretty good, though, you know, as far as fan chance Good go. win, too, for the Wolves. Uh, but not a good situation still at Louisville. The Courier-Journal reported that Rick Pitino received 98% of the cash Louisville was to receive in their expiring deal with Adidas, roughly $1.5 million a year for five years through July 2018. And they why all, 98? Why, no, no, just why take not, the whole just, 100. Just give them 100, right? Be a little more subtle and say 70, 75. Uh-huh, they, Meanwhile, yeah. 98% of the coaches staff gone. Yeah, they placed two more on... <laughs> Paid leave. They fetch it by himself. But yeah. 98. 98%. So it's just like, what was it all Did you think for? nobody would find this out and say, hmm, 98? Boy, that whole thing. All right, uh, Mookie Betts adding uh, injury to insults. Obviously, that play uh, in the sixth gave the Astros a 5-1 lead. That would be Gold Glover, Mookie Betts, excuse me. But he aggravated the left wrist mm-hmm. injury, so he got removed in the eighth inning. Down 2-0, Eduardo Perez on early already said that the Sox's best hope is just to pray right now. <laughs> yeah, and that and that – that inning there, kind of that's where the floodgates kind of opened up. Yeah. Uh, I think they scored four in that inning. But, look, the Astros. Players mess up. They do. And the Astros, they kind of done what they've done all season. I mean, they jumped on them early, kept the pressure on them, and now it looks like they are headed home. The Red Sox, that is. Home in more ways. Home in, in both ways. Exactly. Uh, according to Adam Schefter, the Bucks are scheduling to work out of three to five kickers Monday following Nick Folk's 0 for 3 performance in the 19 to 14 loss to the Patriots. You know I'm right, right? Are you right? So this was why my logic was undeniable as it relates to trading up for Roberto Aguayo. Where's Roberto Kickers, Aguayo? much like quarterback, are very reliable ones, very hard to find. Yeah, and if Walmart you think somewhere. you got one that's never missed in college, to solidify a position that can get you fired as they contemplate firing him. But he him, was bad. It doesn't matter. Yes, it, was about it does. The, it was about the intent. If I offended you, I'm sorry. <laughs> but it was about the intent. Okay. But no, it was about the result. The result was he lost his job because he was you terrible. You don't make a decision knowing the result because if they knew it, they wouldn't have traded up for him. They traded up for him because they needed a kicker. Meanwhile, your boy Justin Tucker, wasn't he undrafted? Just point that That's out. That's a point. All right. Uh, the two and two Jets, they're getting a little full of themselves. They trolled they the Browns with this tweet. But then they deleted it, though. See, if you, you, can't, you, delete if you it. can't delete that, put that out there. But the Jets, 
We were talking about them going 0 and 16. They, nah, they're like, nah, they private school got them civility like that. My, huh? PE teacher, my PE teacher, Mr. Gray, used to say, you're smelling yourself and the older getting mighty strong. Um, no. Okay. No, no. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking the Jets anyway. I'm, I'm on it. That was messed up. Taking who? <laughs> messed up. If you're going to troll anybody, it better be the Browns. There ain't too many teams below you. Can you do this? This is MMA fighter so Tony, Tony Ferguson. Ferguson. Yeah. Kevin Lee. Light heavyweight championship. Lightweight championship, excuse me, Saturday in Vegas. Is he, is he, is this Beach Street? What does he know? I, I declare him the winner just based off that. Yeah. <laughs> like, he, he had a lot of moves and a lot of, exerting a lot of energy before such a big fight. I can't believe you still think you were right about Roberto Aguayo. That's I was right. All along, all I said was I understood the logic. Ten seconds to go. You have to be careful here. Whoa, he has trouble with the snap. Oh, oh now he floated in the air. Here comes the spike. Jalen wants Jackson. What the hell just happened? Uh, idea to like that clip never gets up. Relive happy memories in preparation for this beatdown y'all about no, to take. The is idea that what this is, is to get inspired, but this L Michigan is about to take. Yeah, I said it. I know what the that eyes look like. Such that was long, long time ago. <laughs> Even enemies can show respect. I, I respect. Don't learn. I respect them. They gonna still not hold that L, but I respect them. So, that win was still reach. lucky. It was great. Hey, it's you know what? Do me a favor. Can you cop me this starter jacket? 30th anniversary <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop 2. It's only 160. It's I a Lions Axel Foley jacket. But you have I'm to, not even a Lions fan, but I will bust that. You have to take the Mumford t-shirt that comes with it. Deal. All right. So I, I got it for you. Uh, former Rockets coach Kevin McHale flat out told NBA TV that James Harden is not a leader. He said he tried being a leader last year and doing that stuff. I think Chris Paul is going to help him do that stuff and get back to just hoop and play. Play hating from the sidelines? No, I mean, it, he may not be a Chris Paul-type leader or a LeBron-type leader, but maybe he just leads through work ethic. Everybody's not cut that way. So yeah. now he's got Chris Paul, so he doesn't have to carry that load. No, I don't think he was being negative. I think he was probably – there was some truth to that. Everybody knows the kind of general – Right, and Kevin McHale's not the type to take gratuitous shots. Hollywood Reporter's Awards Chatter Podcast, Kobe, he says his all-time starting five does not include him. It's Jordan, Magic, Bird, Russell, Hakeem. Hmm, are you surprised that it – does and doesn't include him. I'm not. I'm not. You know who else he didn't include? Shaq. I'm a Hakeem guy myself. Me too. And you know I've been a bird holdout for the longest mm-hmm. when it comes to the small forward spot. Yeah. What we call it a day, tell the people had a good day. All right, the UAB football team, they're going to wear personalized jerseys with the names of patients from Children's Harbor Family Center on the back awesome. during their homecoming game against Louisiana Tech Saturday. A section of Legion Field also will be reserved for the Children's Harbor families, and they'll get special jerseys as well. That's awesome. It's like the Iowa fans mm-hmm. waiting to the Children's Hospital. Also a good day for Georgia football fans. Number one recruit, dual threat quarterback Justin Fields has committed to play for the Bulldogs, becomes the first number one overall prospect to pick Georgia in the 13 years that we at ESPN have been ranking prospects. Of course, fifth-ranked Georgia looking to keep it going against Vandy this weekend. That's it for the six. Sports Center continues on ESPN News. U.S. Panama on E2. Memphis UConn is next. Woo, that's a lot of promotion. <laughs> we'll see y'all Monday. <laughs>